Well, good morning, RBF. It is a great privilege to be up here to preach the Word of God. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians as we go through a couple sermons in the next several months on 1 Corinthians over time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 9. As we consider our world today, especially as we consider the many churches in our day and age, we may be tempted to lose hope. Leaders falling into disqualifying sins while in ministry, seemingly faithful Christians renouncing the faith and becoming apostates, divisions among churches over non-primary issues, churches with great pride, apathy, and sexual sin. Even as we consider the church in Corinth, we know that it was a church filled with issues, with sin and with wrong practices. One source notes that it was plagued with division, sexual immorality, social snobbery. There was theological confusion about marriage, about divorce, about corporate worship, and about the bodily resurrection of, of, of Christians. And is this not, in some sense, what we might find in many churches today? Who will sustain us? Who will get us through? Who will help us get to the end and keep us Christian, keep us from falling away? Well, take heart, brothers and sisters. All true believers, all believers who have trusted in Christ for salvation and turned from sin will be sustained by God's grace. There is hope even in difficult situations because there is a God who sustains us by his grace full in a world full of division and immorality and faithlessness. God is still faithful. So brothers and sisters, how often do you consider the grace of God in your life? Do you consider it often? Do you ponder on his grace in your life? Without his grace, we wouldn't be able to be sitting here. We wouldn't be able to be here alive this morning. Without his grace, we wouldn't have breath in our lungs. Without his grace, we would not be Christian today. Without his grace, we would not be Christian tomorrow. Our salvation is a gift. So this morning, I want to zero in on the grace of God, on the grace of God. It's true that God's grace encompasses many things, but there are several aspects of grace that I want to highlight for us this morning. So allow me first to read from our passage. Please stand with me as I read from 1 Corinthians 4 to 9. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Our outline for this morning is number one, grace that enriches, verses four to six. Number two, grace in our waiting, verse seven. And number three, grace that sustains, verse 8. And lastly, number 4, God is faithful, verse 9. And this brings us to our first point, grace that, that enriches, 
grace that enriches, verses 4 to 6. In your Bibles, in verse 4, we see the thankfulness of Paul towards God, don't we? He thanks God for the Corinthians all the time. Why? Why does he thank God so much for them? What has God done? Well, he thanks God for them because of the grace that God gave to them in Christ. It is because of God's grace that he poured out on the Corinthians in Christ Jesus. God has done a great thing. He has given grace to them. These three points will highlight how Paul expands on his grace. But we begin first in verse 5. Paul thanks God because of the grace he gave to the Corinthians in Christ. And the first thing he brings up in light of this grace is how they were enriched in Christ in every way. The word used for enriched here, according to one lexicon, gives the meaning of to cause to abound in something, to make rich, pointing to spiritual riches. In this context and in the context of the Bible, it doesn't mean that all Christians will be made financially rich. That's not what Paul is saying. Rather, Christians are made spiritually rich. Christians are made spiritually alive, dead to sin, alive to Christ, as Colossians notes, for example. God has shown grace to his people in opening eyes, in giving the gospel and giving access to himself. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, As sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything, as poor yet making rich. Paul here speaks of himself as a servant of God who endures difficult things such as hunger, calamities, and sorrows. We know that, yet he claims to always rejoice to have nothing yet have everything. This is the same Paul in Philippians who counts all as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He was rich. Therefore, in Christ, we are truly made rich, not financially, but we have everything in Christ spiritually. We have life, we have God, we have forgiveness, we have an eternal kingdom to come, eternal life. We have the greatest treasure of the triune God himself. You are spiritually rich in Christ. So in application, brothers and sisters, are you content today? If you are in Christ, you are rich. You have hope, you have life, forgiveness, and what you truly need. When and if trials and suffering comes, when loss comes, you are still rich in Christ. No one can take your salvation and your identity in Christ away from you. And isn't that a grace from Christ, from God? Isn't that great favor and blessing from Him? We, we deserve to have absolutely nothing, to have no hope, to have no future, to have no life, but He gives us what we do not deserve in verse 5, Paul also gives examples of speech and knowledge that came to the Corinthians. These areas in which God has enriched his people. As sources seem to note, Paul may be noting specific spiritual gifts that the Corinthians had or valued. Perhaps there are specific spiritual gifts in mind. However, I also want us to understand that in Christ, we are also given knowledge and understanding that we need. If you are a Christian here today, it's because you have come to understand certain things by the grace of God. The message you share and speak are now rich because of the message you have from God. You have rich words from Scripture as your influence. As the ESV again references, pointing us to Romans 15, 14, it says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. 
And 1 John 2.20 says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. In the context of 1 John and 1 John 2.20, when antichrists come, when they come and uh, will come, they spew lies and false things, you can be assured that God's people know the truth. Believers know the truth of Jesus Christ. They know Jesus who is the Son of God. They know Jesus. This is knowledge and truth that believers have been blessed with. You are indeed enriched in speech and knowledge because you know the truth of Christ and the truth of Scripture. You are enriched in these things, in a sense. You can abound in these things. And when it comes to verse 6, there seems to be quite a few interpretations. Even among English translations, translations, there are differences. However, I believe we do not have to read the sentence as a comparison, as we might first read. Namely, Paul may not be comparing their enrichment to the testimony about Christ being confirmed in them. Rather, there is a causal sense, as some may note. Let me explain. The reason for why they have been enriched in all things, in all speech and knowledge, is because they have received the gospel. Paul here may be stating the reason for why they have been enriched in every way. There's a reason. There's a reason why they have been enriched. One commentator says the establishment of the gospel among the Corinthians led to God's grace gift being made available to all. Grace gifts being made available to all. So we could read verses 5 to 6 like this. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge because the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you rather than the sense of comparison that we might see in the ESV or even as. We can understand that grace has come to the Corinthians. They have been enriched in every way in light of the grace that God has given to them in Christ. And we too, who are in Christ, have been enriched. We have been given knowledge and wisdom. We have been given spiritual insight and spiritual blessing and gift in Christ because the gospel has also been established in us. This is grace, and this is our first point. And this leads us to our second point, grace in our waiting in verse 7. God indeed enriches his people. He has given the wisdom of the cross, great spiritual blessings and inheritance and spiritual gifts to his people to build up the body of Christ. We are spiritually rich in Christ. He has shown great grace to his people. And as a result of God's grace, as a result of his kindness, we do not lack any gift. But when do we not lack any? lack any gift. We do not lack any gift as we wait for Christ. As you hopefully know, brothers and sisters, the world as it is is not our home. The here and now is not ultimate. There is more to come. Christ will come again. Everyone will have to stand before him one day. He will judge the world and he will bring forth justice and righteousness. He will condemn the unbelievers and he will bring his people into glory. But what about the here and now? What about the, this current world that we live in as we wait for him to come back? As the world continues to hate God, as it increasingly perhaps hates Christians, what help is there from God today? It's hard to live in this world as Christians. It's hard to hold on to the truth when everyone around us despises the truth. What help does God give us during this waiting period where there's turmoil, persecution, antichrists, a lack of tolerance for the truth, sinful governments, 
temptations and great evil around us. What hope is there? Well, remember, brothers and sisters, God has given us grace in Christ Jesus. He has enriched his people in every way. In Christ, we lack no gift from God as we wait for Christ to come back. We have his spirit. We have his words. We can have his assurance. We have his hope. We have his peace. We have his, his spirit. Though there are those who are against Christ and the truth, we have the truth of Scripture to stand and hold fast to. When temptation comes, God gives us a way to escape it. When guilt creeps in into our hearts, we can reflect on the gift of Christ and how there's no condemnation for those who who are in Christ Jesus. And as we already heard today, God, our Heavenly Father, knows everything we need. He gives us what we need. He gives us what is sufficient until the day of Christ. We cannot say to God that he does not give us what we need. We cannot say to God that he has not gifted us enough. According to one lexicon, the word translated as gift here can mean that which is freely and graciously given, favor, bestowed, gift. Paul here says that we lack no gift. We lack no favor and gracious thing from God. He gives and he has given us what is sufficient for us in this life. So what will we do during this life, during this waiting period? Well, he has given us what we need. When growing up, my my family um, and my home that I grew up in, we didn't fill our home with great things. We didn't have a bunch of food or lots of junk food. I was not forced to overeat or to keep eating when I was very full. When it came to things such as toys or things that I wanted, I didn't always get everything that I wanted. But when I was hungry, there was food available. When I was thirsty, there was something to drink. When I had to get to school, my parents brought me to school or gave me bus tickets to get to school. When I needed textbooks or tuition, my parents would provide. You see, I believe my parents would seek to give me what I needed, whether I deserved it or not. Even to this day, I've gotten much more than I need, and that may simply be from the kindness of my parents. So to an even greater extent, our Heavenly Father, who is our great shepherd, graciously provides so that we lack no gift as well. We may think we lack something, but this passage says that we don't. Just as a child can complain about their parents not giving them something they want, it doesn't mean we are lacking something that we need. God gives what we need, and we do not lack any gift. Therefore, we can say with the psalmist, I shall not want. Or as the NIV says, I lack nothing. This too, brothers and sisters, is grace from God. The fact that you lack nothing as you wait for his appearing. And this brings us to our third point. Grace that sustains. Grace that sustains. Verse 8. When it comes to things such as Reformed theology, which I believe includes doctrines such as tulip, Right? Total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. I hope you care. I hope you care of how grace reaches into salvation and the type of grace that God bestows on his people. Indeed, these doctrines like tulip are often called doctrines of grace probably because it depends on and points to the grace of God in the lives of his people. Not only does God perform the great work of salvation, but he also the great work of perseverance. Ultimately, as I said before, you would not be a Christian today if it wasn't for God. 
You would not be a Christian tomorrow if it wasn't for God sustaining you as a Christian. Who's to say that you wouldn't fall away tomorrow or next month or next week if it wasn't for God? Brothers and sisters, when it comes to these doctrines or doctrines of grace or truths that uphold God's sovereignty and, of course, grace, we can understand that it is good news for the Christian. And this is something that we see in our verse now. God can save the hardest of hearts and God can keep the weak, weary, and tired Christian. A Christian, he can keep them. And in fact, he keeps them a Christian. As verse 8 of our passage this morning says, we see another grace given in Christ that Paul seems to be thankful about. There is a great truth found in verse 8. John Piper gives helpful insight as he sees the relative pronoun who here to refer to Jesus. I believe this makes sense, especially in light of the ESV footnote to 1 Thessalonians and to grammatical rules where you look to the most recent thing here or most recent person uh, referred to, person referred to. Therefore, Paul here expands on Christ, on the one who will come again and who will sustain you to the end. This This word that is translated as sustain can come also from the meaning of confirm or establish. It can mean to point something beyond uh, beyond doubt, to put something beyond doubt, rather, to put something beyond doubt. The NIV says, keep you firm to the end. NASB says, confirm you to the end. And it also notes that it can be strengthened. Either way, the idea here in our verse seems to be that believers will make it to the end. They will make it to the end. However, consider for a second the word guiltless in your Bibles. There may be two ways to understand this as I consulted others for help on how the word guiltless is working. On the one hand, it may be modifying the verb sustain adverbally. In other words, guiltless could be be showing the manner or measure to or by which God sustains. To what extent does God sustain? Well, to the extent of being guiltless. That's to the the extent. That could make sense. However, another option is to see the word guiltless as an adjective that actually complements the pronoun you in the same verse. So who does Jesus sustain? He sustains you. And Paul is saying something about the you here whom Christ sustains. Namely, he will sustain you as guiltless to the end. So he is predicating, he is saying something about the you here, about the Corinthians, and therefore about all true believers. That they are confirmed, they are sustained, they are beyond a doubt, guiltless to the end. That's what he's saying about you. Isn't this wonderful? We are not kept or sustained as sinful people before God. We are not sustained as condemned people. Paul is saying that Jesus sustains you as guiltless people. Or if you like the other way, God will sustain you to the end. How or to, to what measure? He will sustain you guiltless. By being guiltless, God will sustain you to the end in the day of Christ, to the day of Christ. When Christ comes back, believers are sustained guiltless to the end. This applies to us who are believers and applies even to genuine Christian Corinthians who indeed had many problems back in the day. So, brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful truth for our guilty hearts, isn't it? For our doubting hearts. 
for our tired and weary hearts, perhaps? Will God hold on to us? Will he keep us believing tomorrow? The answer is yes, he will. Once saved, always saved, because God sustains believers to the end. They will be guiltless in the day of Christ. The songs we sing, such as, He will hold me fast, are not in vain, because He will. Indeed, Christ will hold us fast, and what a great truth that is. This, is, this isn't the only verse that brings forward this truth of perseverance, but to read a couple more. For, for Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. John 10, 27 to 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them, snatch them out of the father's hand. Ephesians 1, 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Predestined, purchased, sustained. No one will snatch us out of God's hand. Indeed, brothers and sisters, believers, we will be sustained to the end. We will be confirmed to the end as guiltless. If you are in Christ, you will be sustained as guiltless. This is what I believe Paul is trying to say in our passage. This is good news. This is grace that sustains. However, for our unbelieving friends this morning, for those of you who do not yet know Christ, you are indeed in great guilt and sin. You are not guiltless before God. If you stand before Christ without faith in him when you die, you will stand before him with great guilt. And when you die, it will be too late to trust in him as he gives us this earthly life now to trust in him. And when you die, it will be a horrible thing if you stand before God with guilt, without Christ. There is indeed a holy God who created us to know him and follow him. We are accountable to this God. He is our creator God. Furthermore, we have all sinned before God, against God. We rebelled against him and we deserve eternal hell. Yet God in his great grace and his great love has sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect life we should have lived, to die the death that we should have died, absorbing the sin and wrath we should have taken. And he died on the cross and three days later came back to life so that whoever trusts in him, trusts in Christ, Christ as their Lord and Savior, can be saved, can be guiltless, can stand before him as guiltless forever. So trust in him today if you haven't already. Receive his great grace which enriches, which is with us as we wait and which sustains us to the end. Trust in him. And this brings us to our last point. God is faithful in verse 9. God is faithful. As we consider our last three points regarding how God has given grace that enriches, grace in our waiting, and also grace that sustains, we can indeed see the great amount of grace that God has poured out on his believers, on us. He makes us spiritually rich in Christ 
through the gospel, we have great spiritual gifts and understanding in light of his grace. We lack no gift as we wait for Christ, and we have what we need in Christ. This is all grace from God. And furthermore, we have grace from God as Christ sustains us right to the end, guiltless, as our text says. Therefore, in light of all this grace Paul has reflected on, in light of the favor and kindness of God that we do not deserve, we can understand that God, therefore, is faithful, as verse 9 says. God is faithful. Verse 9 brings forth the truth in light of all that has been brought out in terms of God's grace, that God is faithful, a simple truth. He further explains God's faithfulness in bringing forth the understanding of how you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God has called us. He justifies us and saves us. This is the truth of his word. Only a faithful God calls us into a relationship with Christ. Only a faithful God saves us and sustains us and keeps us believing. He doesn't let go of his people. If he did let go of his people, if Christians could truly lose their salvation, he would be a liar because he did not sustain them. He did not finish the good work that he started. He did not keep them from being snatched away. But in fact, he is faithful. He does keep his word. He will keep his word. And he will keep his believers. All true believers will remain true believers. God is faithful. Ponder on this truth. Take it in. The grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus is a testament to his faithfulness. Don't forget that God is faithful. God is faithful. In conclusion, I've tried to make some application already throughout this sermon, so I'll only make a couple more. Number one, we are not free to do nothing in light of God's grace. First, we can understand that God has shown us great grace in his enriching, like I said, and the gospel in our waiting, and as he sustains us as guiltless, God causes his people to persevere. That's true. However, don't let his grace and the fact that he keeps his Christians Christian make you think that you don't have to put any effort in your faith to grow and do good. This is a basic understanding, yet something important to be reminded of this morning. In light of God's grace, we do not suddenly become antinomian, or that is anti-law, We are not free to forsake church. We are not free to forsake our devotionals. We are not free to forsake our pursuit of holiness or to forsake the fight against sin. If a so-called believer ultimately forsakes this pursuit and ultimately forsakes doing what is good, then it may mean that that person was never truly a believer in the first place. So don't let this talk of grace fool you. Yes, encourage you. Don't let it trick you into thinking you don't have to do anything in terms of doing good and in terms of growth and fighting for holiness. Not to earn salvation, but in light of your salvation, we must still do good. And indeed, our second application, we should understand that it is no secret that God keeps and perseveres all his children. He preserves all his children. He keeps them ultimately saved and in the faith. Yes, that's true. Yet one way that he does this is by giving us the church, isn't it? By gathering regularly as an assembly physically. There are means of grace that God gives to us, and one of those means of grace is going to church. 
Perhaps this is something that you have heard before, and I assume I am not the first to say these things, but Zoom and YouTube or watching service online ultimately is not church. It might be necessary from time to time, but it is not church. If you are not physically with us today, then you are not gathered with us as a church. John Paxson says, virtual presence is actual absence. In light of this quote and, and the points made by others, we need to gather physically to be at church. You need to hear the word of God in person. You need to fellowship with the saints. You need to gather with the saints and sing with the saints and gather together day by day to sharpen each other, to fight sin together. So it's, of course, heartwarming and great to see many people here today, but keep coming to church, keep going to church. And if you are not at church today, consider coming back if you are able to, because you need church. It is a grace from God. One of the ways he sustains you is by going to church. Not, again, not to earn salvation, but in light of the salvation given, we are given the church to be sustained. It's for our good, and it's appropriate as we persevere in this world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth that we find in your word. Not simply in 1 Corinthians, but, but all over scripture, we come to the truth that you are God who has given us great grace. You are God who enriches us, who gives us what we need in the waiting, who sustains us as guiltless, and therefore you are a God who is faithful, a God who will keep us forever. So help us hold fast to these truths when our hearts cause us, cause us to doubt, when our hearts cause us to feel guilty, or when we cannot seem to hold fast to you anymore. Help us, God, to remember the truth that you will hold fast to us. And would that encourage us to hold fast to Christ? So we need you, God, on days that we can't think straight, on days where we are discouraged and downcast. Help us to be reminded of your grace that sustains us to the end, guiltless to the end. Thank you for the wonderful truth that we indeed come before you every day and ultimately we'll stand before you as guiltless people. What a great gift that is. What a great reassurance that is to know that we are guiltless before you. Help us in all that we do, God. Help us to never forget your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.